today we're reading a couple different passages, but we'll start in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get that credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for all full, for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be gr- very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. The next one is Luke fourteen thirty three. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Nathan, I just wanted to get you ready for Bible school again. <laughs> Big words, long scripture. Uh, no, actually, you know, it's New Year's resolution time, right? Which is awesome. All those things we say we'll do that we all stop doing by January 15th. <laughs> That's what they say. Two weeks is usually how long it lasts. Uh, gym memberships will skyrocket this next week. Everyone will join some diet program and then... January 15th, we'll all be back to normal. Um, But I figured uh, if we were to turn to Scripture to come up with some New Year's resolutions, here's a couple doozies. Wow, right? So to help us understand this, I want to tell a true story. There was a man who felt called to go to the mission field. No greater calling, right? No greater calling than to leave what's comfortable here, wherever you are, to leave your home, to go to a foreign language with different foods and different languages and different people and different cultures, maybe bugs and snakes and jaguars and maybe, you know, anarchists who roam the night with AK-47s, right? Ah, right? Called to these crazy jungle lands. So him and his wife said, we will do it. These people need to know the gospel. We will go. And so they bagged up all their stuff from Canada. They got in a plane. They flew over the Pacific Ocean and landed in Papua New Guinea and went to an island called Jiranjaya. Did I say that right? Yeah, Jiranjaya. Yeah, it's down there in the jungle somewhere. And they moved in among these tribal people, right? These tribal people that looked very different than Canada. Okay? The Amount of clothing that they wear in Arian Jaya is very different than the amount of clothing that they wear in Canada. So this faithful missionary and his young new bride without any children set up a little home among the natives and they said, here we go. We will teach them God's word. We will help them. 
So they set up a medical clinic and began to hand out medicine. They set up, you know, a shop where these guys could come and, 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 and buy different things like fish hooks and, and, and gum and toothpicks and things they'd never seen before. And this was just going to be great. And then they found a little piece of land behind their house and they cleared it. They worked tirelessly to clear this land so that they could plant a garden. See, a plane would only come in once in a while to fill, to fill their food needs and stuff. And they thought, man, we're in the jungles. We can grow here what we normally can't grow in Canada. So they worked hard and they planted papayas and they planted oranges and they planted bananas. And they most of all loved, they planted pineapple. Well, this soil, I guess, wasn't that great. And they couldn't really get anything to grow. And what they found would grow the best was pineapples. But what they soon discovered... What they soon discovered after being with these tribal people for a couple of months is that these people were chronic thieves. That this was part of their culture. Thievery was like just as they would teach their children to, 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 be, to be thieves, to steal. That's what the whole part of the culture. So one day they began to notice this. Well, one, they would start to notice things around the house were missing, right? Things around the house were missing. And one day they were out and about and they saw a lady wearing a can opener as a necklace. Right Now that lady has never opened a can in her life in the jungle. And they're looking at her like, wow, that's a can opener for a necklace. Right? She had a piece of string and a can opener hanging there. Right? And they said, wait a minute. They went back and they looked in their drawers. No can opener. The lady had stolen the can opener and didn't even know what it was and wore it as a piece of jewelry. Well, then the next thing they noticed, right? She went to put different things together with uh, safety pins. And she's like, I swear I had safety pins. Well, they were in town and lo and behold, what was in the ears of all the ladies? <laughs> safety pins. They're like, oh, that's my safety pin. Oh. Then one time, he was in the middle of a town meeting, and he noticed that one of the tribal men had a new bull ring. It was his ballpoint pen. His ballpoint pen was sitting in the native's nose. He's like, hey, that's my pen. Well, all of these things were kind of comical, and it didn't really matter. Until, until all the tribal people began to steal his pineapples. And he began to get extremely angry. And the more they stole him, the angrier he got. Because they were a lot like birds. Have you ever noticed that birds will take the blueberry just before you want the blueberry? Right? When have you ever seen a bird wait around until it's really ripe? Never. And they're always there, what? Super early in the morning. They always get the ripe blueberries. It drives me crazy. I used to go, I'd go out, and it's funny, because I'm a lot like this missionary, right? I would sit on my porch during my quiet time, and I'd see these birds try to get through the net to our blueberries. And be like, hey, hey, that's my blueberry. That's my blueberry. You know? And I'd be like, ah. Well, then I put a big net over them. And guess who can get under the net? The chipmunk. So then the chipmunk would come through my porch with cheeks this big of blueberries. And what drove me nuts about the chipmunk, when I read about the chipmunk, it says that he doesn't even eat the blueberries right then. He goes and stores them probably in my house in the insulation. Thanks a lot, pal. That's where they really help me out, all right? And what's crazy, I read about chipmunks, they forget where half their stash is. 
So he's wasting half my blueberries in my insulation. So Jesse got a Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas last year. (laughs) And the Red Ryder BB gun doesn't kill the chipmunks. It just warns them. Those guys are buggers though, huh? So this missionary would watch out his window, right? And he would sit on his porch, and he would catch them, and he'd yell, get out of my garden, you get the... And it was driving him crazy. But nothing he did, nothing he could do, nothing he could do would stop these people from stealing his pineapples. And it was driving him crazy. He couldn't even sleep. He would sit at the night watch and wait to catch somebody stealing his pineapples. So then he said, I'll know what I'll do. I'll shut down the medical clinic. That's what I'll do. No. And so the people would come and sit on his porch and then go, oh, oh no, oh no, we have headache. We need pill. We have headache. We need pill. He goes, no, you steal my pineapple, no pill for you. You know, what a great missionary he is, right? No pill for you, right? No, go away. You steal my pineapple. No pill. Oh, oh, no, oh, oh, no. But then that was kind of a funny one because it was a headache. But then it wasn't so funny when all of a sudden it was in the middle of the night and the, and the, and the whole town surrounded his cabin and said, You! It's your fault! Our baby died! And the baby died in the night because the clinic wasn't open. And then obviously, as you can imagine, the heart of the missionary was really heavy and he felt, Oh my word. So he opened up back the, the medical clinic. But guess what? They all still stole his pineapples and it made him so angry. Well... It was four years later, and he was coming home to America and coming home to Canada to go around and raise some money. And while he was home, a pastor did a sermon on surrendering your rights, giving everything to God. And as this missionary listened to this pastor preach, he just began to bawl. He began to weep. He realized that, man, I need to give these pineapples to God. And so he did. And he said, the peace of God filled my heart. I gave God the pineapples, and I went back. And I got there, and this was great. But then they began to steal pineapples. And I could feel the anger rising in me. And I'd say, God, God, did you, did you see that? God, they're stealing your pineapples. God, hey, I just, God, they're stealing. And he would get so angry, so, so angry, so angry. And then one night... One night he was reading his Bible and he was so angry. He was telling these, telling me, you know, telling God about these people. Until one night he read Luke chapter fourteen thirty three, and it said this: "You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own." And it just hit him like a ton of bricks. And he said, "Lord, they're your pineapples." And he said he'll never forget it. He shut off his lamp and went to sleep like he's never slept by his pineapple, by his pineapple grove. He said, I just slept and I slept till like nine the next morning. And people were stealing my pineapples and all these different things, right? And now he said, I began to, instead of coming out and screaming at these people, I began to wave. I began to wave. Well, about five nights later, there was a commotion at the door. And all of these people were standing at his door. And they go, Oto, Oto, come out, come out. And he comes out and they go, he goes, what's, what's the matter? He goes, Oto, Oto, why do you wave at us when we steal your pineapples now? How come you do not yell at us? He goes, oh, they're not my pineapples. They go, oh, and they all step back. Who, who owns the pineapples? And Oto's like, it's late. 
I'll tell you tomorrow who owns the pineapples. He goes, no, tell us now. Who owns the pineapples? He goes, it's late. I'm going to bed. And they they're, they're just all mad, right? So he didn't notice, but he went and went back to bed. They went into the town, and they go, do you own the pineapples? Do you? Do you? The townspeople couldn't sleep. Then they lit torches, and they walked to another town about 10 miles away and woke up the other town. Do you own the pineapples? Do you own the pineapples? Because they were all worried that a witch doctor owned the pineapples. You know why? Because there was no fish on their hook for five days. None of their women had become pregnant in five days. That means the enemy is going to have more people than them. They had not killed any pig in five days in hunting. And they were worried that a witch doctor owned the pineapples. So the next morning at like four in the morning, they were all standing at Oto's front, right? And he's like, look out the window, what is going on? And he's like, honey, check this out. This is going to be funny. Watch this. And so he goes out and they're like, who owns the pineapples? And he goes, I gave them to my God. My God owns the pineapples. And they go, no, no. They go, take it back. Go inside. Get on your knees. Get back the pineapple. You own it. And he goes, no, I don't want to own it anymore. I don't own these pineapples. No, we have not got fish. Women have not got pregnant. We have not got, we have not got pig. No. And then one guy stepped forward and goes, can your God see in the dark? And Naruto goes, yes, my God can see in the dark. Oh, right? And then another guy goes, how big is your God? He goes, very big. They go, oh no, oh no. Right? And it was great. This is amazing. One of the tribal men who was pretty smart came forward and goes, because now they're getting mad at him. And they're, and they're like, he said they were beginning to pluck their, um, their, their bow and arrow things, like boing, boing, boing. It's like, oh, no. This is now getting real because they're like, you go get it back. You get it back from your God. And the one guy stepped forward. He goes, Oto, can you not be a Christian and own the pineapples? This is what he said to the missionary. And the missionary goes, no. I can't be a Christian and own the pineapples. It makes me mad. He goes, okay, everybody, listen. Our missionary has become a Christian. <laughs> That's what he says to the people. He become a Christian, and he can own pineapple and be Christian. And this is what is great. This, this guy goes, okay, now that his God owns the pineapples, we must walk a different way to the river. So you don't see his pineapples. So you don't smell his pineapples. We're not going to steal his pineapples. And all of a sudden, there was like, half the, half the town was like, we are afraid of your God. We fear him. He is real. And they came to know Jesus. And the other half of his town said, no, we're still going to try to steal these. And I tell you what, the true story is that other half of the town was not experiencing God's blessing. They were experiencing God's curse. And the whole time the missionary was like, oh my word, God, you take care of your pineapples really well. (laughs) And what was crazy, a couple days later, he woke up and he came out and all these pineapples were on his front step. He's like, Good grief, I used to complain because I didn't get pineapples, and now they're delivered to my front door. 
right? And what it was was the people who had given their life to Christ didn't want these people to steal God's pineapples, and so they were voluntarily staying up all night catching people stealing pineapples, their own people. (laughs) He was like, good grief, God really takes care of his own pineapples, right? And it was absolutely incredible. And then he gave his bananas to God, and he gave his coconuts to God, and he gave, guess what? Then he had to do some harder things, like give his silverware to God. He used to say they used to come in, right? They would have a little boy come in and say that he needed something. He would grab a piece of silverware, drop it on the floor, kick it through the crack in the floor, and the little baby brother would be under the house on stilts, grab the silverware, and run away. That's how they stole all their silverware. But you know what's crazy? They wouldn't use the silverware. They'd put it in their ears and in their nose. And they wouldn't even use it because they don't even know what it's for. They just steal because it's what they do. And so they would like, before they gave everything to God, they would stop up all the holes in the floor. And then the kids would take them out in the rubbish. And they, they were really good at stealing. They were phenomenal at stealing. But the villagers don't like stealing from someone who doesn't care. And ever, ever since, they said, ever since the missionary became a Christian, it's not fun to steal from him anymore. And it was absolutely incredible. And one of the things that the missionary realized, he didn't realize how bad his health was because of how much he worried, because of how much he was angry at people stealing from him. And when he began to just not worry about it and say, Lord, you own my silverware. You own my shirt. He said, you don't know how many times he'd go to the market to buy fish and he'd go, from the guy selling fish, that's my shirt. (laughs) And the guy would say, yeah, you buy fish from me? Because I want my shirt. You don't even own a shirt. Like the people down there don't wear clothing. (laughs) That's my shirt. I'm not going to buy a fish from you. Give me my shirt back first, you know. And that's was he, how he used to just, you know, get in conflict with these people. Well, he gave it over and he began to see that his health changed. And what was incredible was that people from all over the South Pacific, missionaries from all over the South Pacific, would come and visit him and say, hey, You've only been here five years, but you are 15 years ahead of everybody else. What are you doing? And the missionary simply said, I just decided I don't own anything. I don't own anything. I gave it all to the Lord. And he read this verse and he realized this, that one can be born again. One can call themselves a Christian. And continue to hold tight to what they have on earth. But one cannot consider themselves a disciple of Jesus. Someone who mimics Jesus. And someone who goes and teaches others to be like Jesus. And hold on to anything here on earth. That's what this verse means. And folks, this message is for Marcus. And if you're anything like me, this message is for you. See, because I have to be very careful. I'm judgmental. I'm self-righteous. Well, I'm living for ministry things. You know, I'm living for church services and evangelistic outreaches called Christmas Eve. All these things that God says is good. 
And I look down on people that are living for media. And I look down on people that are, are living for, you know, fancy cars and all the things that I look down on. Baloney. There is no difference between a fancy car and a fancy church service. Nothing. They're both vehicles that will be done, that have an expiration date. There's no different from Christmas Eve services and Netflix. There isn't. And I can't look down because I hold tightly to things that have expiration dates. You know how I know that? It's because my anger flares. And I have to be very careful because I can look down on people that struggle with anxiety. Anger is just the same thing. Anxiety is just passive, and anger is active. I don't know what the right word is, but all I know is that when I get angry, I like to throw. It's not a good thing, but I really like to throw. So there's definitely some times in my life where I'll be inside, and I'll be like, and I'll walk outside, and I'll be like, all right, time to do firewood. And it's not a good sign. I remember one time I was working on my snowmobile, and there's a voltage regulator on the snowmobile. And when you replace the voltage regulator, the new voltage regulator, right, comes with all these wires coming out of it, but there's a harness at the end of it that you need on from the old voltage regulator. So you have to cut the wires so that you have enough wire to, to wire in the new, you know, the, new, the new adapter. I have dyslexia. So I'm not kidding you. I'm holding my brand new voltage regulator that I just spent money on. And I said, okay, don't cut too close to the new voltage regulator. I need wires because it takes a while for the harness to get over here. What did I do? I cut right next to the brand new voltage regulator, rendering it useless. Because I just cut all of its cables right next to it. And I had the old one in my hand, Right? That's where I was supposed to cut close to that one. But what did I do with the old one? Right? I went to throw it into the wood pile because I was angry. But because it was weighted on one end and had rope on the other, when I went to throw it like this to hit the wood pile, because it's okay to hit a wood pile, right? It came out of my hand and went this way and went right through my garage window. <laughs> way to go, Pastor. <laughs> Got some points there, pal. It could have hit the entire garage wall. The whole wall it could have hit and not done any damage. Right through the window. Man. Well, in my defense, I wasn't a pastor yet. I was just a Christian camping conference retreat director. And we all know they're lower than a pastor. Right? Folks, if you're angry... You must follow that anger back to its root. And at its root, you will find, just like me, that you value something too highly. Might be your time. Might be your money. Might be your peace and quiet. Might be your sleep. Might be your home. Might be your car. Might be your children. Yes, children are worshipped above God every day, and it's not good. It's not good for you, and it's not good for them. We all have friends that have grown up in a home with a helicopter mom. That poor kid. That poor kid. Been to college with one of them? I have. You can see him walking on. 
Hey, pal, is that your mom? Yeah, she's going to try to go home in a minute. Let's see if she can do it. <laughs> Welcome to college. Right? We all elevate things. And I can't, I can make little, like, little jokes about that, but it's real, right? Because you can say the same thing about me. Say, oh, have you met, ever met a pastor that, like, it's a helicopter over his ministry? Yeah, good luck. He usually dies of a heart attack before 60, or he has a mental breakdown, or he does something absolutely horrific and makes a really dumb decision, all because he's trying to squeeze fulfillment out of a small thing. <coughs> We look ridiculous when we do it. Now, I've got anger. I know a lot of you have anxiety. Follow the anxiety back to its root. What is it, what is it that you're placing a value on? Now, I know that there is anxiety that comes from chemical imbalances in the brain. That is very clinically proven. And that God has given doctors to do some really cool things. I'm also finding out that anger is a chemical imbalance in the brain. I get very, very nervous when I read the medical journals on people that have played football and have hit their head in snowboarding accidents and have hit their head in mountain biking accidents and have hit their head on road biking accidents I'm four for four people played football kindergarten through junior year in high school. It's not junior. Junior year in college. See, I hit my head. Junior year in college. My sophomore year in college, I was sacked as the quarterback most in our division from any other quarterback. I mean, I was hit more than any other quarterback, right? I crashed my dad's motorcycle going through the field in my, in my, in my, um, my grandparents' field. All I remember, well, first I remember going through the air going, wow, I am in the air a long time. And then I don't remember anything after that other than my dad standing over me in the field going, you were in third gear, weren't you, kid? (laughs) Yeah. Told you not to go above second gear. Yeah. You know. And I read those medical journals. There's a lot of anger issues with men that have hit their head many times as a youth, right? Now, I know all that to be true. That's beautiful, you know, awesome work done. And I can maybe look into some of that stuff. But I also know that my Holy Spirit that lives within me is God and is my guide and is my comforter. And he will help guide me to the things that I value more than God, the things that are hurting me, that are causing me anger, The things that are hurting you and causing you anxiety and stress. The missionary says, listen, when I let go, I was amazed at what changed in my health. He said, before, before I was on, he called them tranquilizers. I don't know what that is. It sounds like he's a horse, but he said, missionaries shouldn't be on those. He said, afterwards, I wasn't. And I look in my own life and I think about some of the things that just knot in here, that just wind up and just a string that won't let go. There's a story about a king in Scripture. His name is Solomon. And Solomon was given the greatest wisdom in the world. But Solomon had an issue. Solomon wanted what he wanted and he wanted it now. 
And I used to try to think that I was like King David. See, King David also had some sin issues, but the Bible says that King David was a man after God's own heart. So I was always like, yeah, I had some sin issues, but I'm a man after God's own heart. But then I read Solomon's story. And Solomon had a real problem with delayed gratification. Marcus has a real problem with delayed gratification. Come hang out with me when I eat buffalo wild wings. I want wings and I want them now. And inside Solomon was a wound string. A string that would only come unwound when someone played the harp. And it says in the Bible that David, as a young boy, before he was king, would come and play the harp for Solomon. And the Bible actually says, and it would relieve the demons in Solomon's life. Now, I'm not going to... Solomon? Wow. Sorry. Solomon was David's son. Fast, like, rewind a little bit. Do I keep saying Solomon? Saul. King Saul. Thank you. King Saul. Saul. He had a, a string wound in his life. And when someone would play the harp, it would unwind it. And I always thought I was like David. No way I'm like that beastly of a man, Saul, uh, Saul, right? I'm not a beastly of a man like that guy, Saul. I'm like David. I have a sin problem, but boy, I love God. Till six years ago, when we hosted in our home one of the competition harp players at the Highland Games. And a harp player cannot leave their harp in the car. It's a $5,000 instrument, okay? It has its own climate control case. That's crazy. So she had to bring it inside. And she said, would you like for me to play after dinner? I don't know about you, but I've heard harp recorded. I've heard harp on things. I have not had a harp live in my kitchen. I don't know about you. I just never have. She brought that thing into our living room and began to practice her piece that she was competing in at the Highland Games. I am not kidding you. I went from a sitting position in my chair, and as she played, I su- I've never had this experience to me. I sunk so far into that chair that I began to slide off it and I caught myself like, whoa, kind of like, have you you ever like been sleeping and fallen in your sleep and you do like one of these numbers? Have you done that before? I have. That's the experience I had, but I was wide awake. I was like sliding out of my chair and I was like, whoa, what just happened? It relieved something inside of me. And what's been beautiful about the journey that I've been on since the Holy Spirit revealed that to me six or seven years ago, that I have been constantly, every day, opening my hands to things that control me. Ministry, what people think about me in town, what people think about me on the hill, what opportunities do I have versus the opportunities that my friends have on Facebook. Totally. And I've just been on this journey, and i got a long way to go. But since seven years ago, I can feel by the power of the Holy Spirit the unwinding of this string in me. And as a result, if you talk to my wife, in the last seven years, I think my anger has come way down. Way down. Put it this way. That when I threw that thing through the window, that was maybe ten-ish years ago, we're living in Wilton. Don't worry, Scott, I haven't thrown anything 
through, you know, your window. <laughs> but it was really embarrassing to talk to Jim Macchio when I punched a hole through the door of his house that I was, that I was renting. Right? I'm here, I am the pastor. Yeah, the pastor's renting for me. He just put his fist through my door. Well, I thought the door was thicker. Or my, I didn't realize that was going to go through the whole thing like that. You know? That's me. That's me. Why? Because I'm holding on to things that aren't God. And don't justify it. I'm justifying it because it's a ministry. You're justifying it because it's your kids. You're justifying it because it's your health. Well, obviously you have to hold on your health. wrong. No, you do not have a right for good health. You do not have a right for a bank account that always is in the black. You don't have a right for a good day, and you don't have a right for a comfortable life, and you don't have a right for a white picket fence, a golden retriever, and an SUV. You don't have that right. I don't either. I don't have a right for an easy go at a church. Now, does that mean that God upstairs is some big meaning who's like, ha, 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 I can't wait to put these people through the ringer. No. What he's trying to say is, oh, this is what he's trying to say. I tried to teach a friend how to kneeboard one time, right? And I had him on a beach start. So that way they could just come right off the beach and onto the water. But what happens? As soon as they came off the, water, off the beach, they started going like this and they fell over. What'd they do? They didn't let go of the rope. They're underwater going, and I as a driver, I'm like, oh my word, they're not letting go. Boom, I have to cut the motor. I have no long, I have no idea how long. They would have gone unconscious conscious and let go finally. But I don't know how long they would have hung on for. So I had to cut the motor. Then they come up all sputter. I'm like, let go of the rope. What are you? They're like, oh, I thought I was supposed to hang on. That's what you look like when you're hanging on to your children and you're hanging on to your 401k and you're hanging on to your good car and your good job and your good town and your vacation and your ministry and your health. These are all things that have expiration dates on them. And when you hold on to them, you look like someone that won't go let go of a ski rope. <laughs> Me too. So the New Year's resolution for all of us, let go. Let, just let go. Let go. I really don't like that mom saying, let go and let God. I'm like, yes, mom. Yes, mom. I, probably because I heard it too much. Right? Everyone's like, I heard a new one, dude. Let go and let God. I'm like, no, my mom's been yelling at Matt for me since 1982. You know? I don't want to hear it anymore. But it's so true. It's so right. So right on. Right? So right on. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's truth. We thank you that it's truth in our lives. Lord, this is so difficult because it's justifiable for me to hang on to the church and the ministry. It's what you want me to do, right? Lord, as a mother, it's justifiable to hang on to my children. It's what I'm supposed to do, right? Lord, as someone who is suffering from a, an illness, it's my, it's my, it's my, it's my duty, right, to, 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 to hold on to my health with everything I have. Lord, no, you are Lord of everything. You are Lord of my health. You are Lord of my bank account. You are Lord of my children. You are Lord of my life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, help me, help everyone here to let go of whatever it is that they're just white-knuckling to. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.